Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming after Week 12, where the New York Jets find themselves 0-11, losing to the Miami Dolphins 3-20. That is right, your gang green puts up just three points. Dolphins get 20, nothing too crazy from them on offense. In fact, the Jets actually played a really good defensive game, but it was nowhere near enough because three points is never going to win. Now, the first time they played the Dolphins, they lost that game 24-0 with Joe Flacco playing quarterback. That game was arguably even uglier than this one, but still, what we were hoping for on offense, it didn't happen. And that was the real issue in this game. It was the offense. The defense had me excited all game long, put us in position to try to find some success, short fields, forcing fumbles, making plays. But the offense can't capitalize, and we were expecting more. This is Sam Darnold's first time playing with all of his weapons. Rashad Perriman, Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, all in the field at the same time. What could go wrong? Well, in this game, the Jets had all sorts of trouble. They opened it up all right. They had a decent drive, nine plays, 55 yards, scored a field goal, and right away we got three points. We're saying, all right, not so bad. Dolphins get the ball. We force a punt on eight plays, 32 yards. And after that, it's all downhill. Jets don't score again. Miami continues to score. Field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. To make the final score, 20-3. to Dolphins go to 7-4. and Jets to 0-11. And it's like, uh, you seen the movie Groundhog Day where Bill Murray lives the same life over and over again? I feel like Tuesday nights are becoming the same thing for me. I've done 11 of these in a row now. Coming to you on a Tuesday night following a Jets loss. And, you know, got to find the uh, gotta find the good stuff. There are plenty of players that we're still evaluating. Tons of stuff in the future that we're planning for. There's definitely some positives and definitely some light at the end of the tunnel for this team. I think we saw a lot of it on defense this week. But holy moly, would it be nice to see just like a good, complete game from the team? Or maybe they can come out with a win. But at this point at 0-11, it's like, it's just so useless to even get a win. It's actually a little bit more detrimental to the team in general in terms of value for the draft. And they put us in this position, and it's ridiculous and it's embarrassing, and it's Adam Gase's fault, and it's Chris Johnson's fault, and... It's Mike McCagnon's fault. It's a bunch of players in this team's fault. But we're suffering through it. We're good Jets fans, and we're going to break down one more this week for you. So before I begin, as always, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. This is under the Gang Green Nation podcast episode or series title. This is the Jet Life found anywhere podcasts are. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. If you want more random thoughts throughout the week or want to engage with me. So this week, we're going to talk briefly about the game, you know, as a whole. We're going to do the draft standings, as we've been following this year. Looking at the AFC East, we're going to talk a little coaching, because that's a huge issue. Then, as always, team stats, father time, moving back up to that top spot over what's on tap. We're going to do offense, defense, what's on tap, special teams, and a week 13 preview where we play the Raiders this week, and we see if the New York Jets can grab their first win of the season. All that and more coming up on this episode, so super exciting. A lot to get into. 
All right, so we begin with our game recap. As I mentioned, Sam Darnold is playing all the players out there. It was tough sledding for the offense. Right, Time and time again, they made mistakes. A bad interception thrown by Sam Darnold where he's rolling out to the side. And these are the mistakes that we've been seeing from him for his whole career. He used to make good plays and stand in the pocket and deliver to guys downfield and then have an occasional really bad interception. Now he's frantic, can't make quick reads, gets sacked, doesn't have the same zip on the ball that he used to have, doesn't read the field as quickly as he used to, and still makes those plays here and there. I mean, at this point, he's three touchdowns, eight interceptions on the season with like 1,200 yards. That is a horrible season for Sam Darnold, a guy that I was tracking to see if he could get 4,000 yards this season with this team. Not even close. Not even close. And he's potentially playing himself out of a job right now. And it's really frustrating to see. It's disappointing. Because he's the guy that I wanted more than anything. Followed his college career. I knew that he was destined to be good. Everybody knew Sam Darnold was destined to be a good NFL quarterback. Most people. One of the highest graded guys by most analysts coming out. The Jets got him. And we put him in this position. In this game, we don't have a Michael Pirine. We're just hammering Frank Gore down the middle. Same sort of stuff. At points, it feels like you know, early on in the game, they're running to Mackay Becton's side. It feels like they've got semblance of what they're trying to do. Okay, it's kind of working. You know, they're still not really throwing the ball downfield. No creativity in the offense, really. But then as the game goes on, they stop running over there. They keep going up the middle. Adam Gase in like two-minute drills is running the ball. It's just, it's absurd. And we had a good answer for the Dolphins with our defense in this game. We actually got to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was starting over to Otunga Bailoa. We got to him three times. We forced four fumbles, got two of them back. I mean, in this game, two turnovers for the Jets and two takeaways. So again, even, this is a position the Jets are actually doing pretty well in this year is the turnover differential. And again, this week, even, but not enough. In total, when you look at it, the Jets team in this game, 260 total yards. Now compare that to last week when Joe Flacco was the quarterback. We had 292 against the Chargers. Against New England, one of our best offensive games this season. We had 322, so still not that far off. Those are the two Flacco games before that. Sam Darnold played against Kansas City. We had 221 yards. So we did both games, more yardage with Flacco. Our worst offense seems to be when Sam Darnold's on the field, aside from that one Miami Dolphin game that Joe Flacco started and put up zero points. But we don't have a lot of answers right now. If we're not chucking the ball downfield, getting some Hail Mary sort of play to Rashad Perriman or Denzel Mims, we're hardly moving the ball. And it's it's tough to watch offensively. I will say I'm proud of the defense. There are a lot of guys in there that I'm seeing, you know, core players that we can move on with going into 2021 and beyond. A lot of these guys, you know, even if they're not starters, certain guys, you know, like a Harvey Langer or a Kyle Phillips, I think they look like guys that should be on a roster. And backup players are just as important not just as important, but very important because we've seen we have no depth. We've got these injuries, and we're playing random players off of the street. We're playing wide receivers we've never heard of, bad offensive linemen, and you know running backs we don't even know. This is what happens when you don't have great depth on a team, and it's not the worst thing in the world to have players like the Jets. You know, put everybody down a position. Harvey Lang is your starter right now. Neville Hewitt's your starter. Maybe have them be your number two, your number three guy. Move everybody down one rung. Get some more players on top. And this team could be all right. I see a lot of potential on the defense. I see a lot of potential on the offensive line. And I'm even starting to see some glimpses from the wide receiver group. But aside from that, it's hard to find much. And of course, the coaching has been a huge issue. We will get into the coaching soon. 
First, we're going to take a quick look at the draft standings. Not a ton changed. The Jaguars, who we were hoping hoping would win. I think last podcast I spent the whole time talking about Jacksonville versus Minnesota. That's not the case. It was Jacksonville versus Cleveland. This week coming up, it's going to be Jacksonville versus Minnesota. Jacksonville loses. They actually had a pretty decent game with Mike Glennon starting at quarterback over Jake Luton. But still, they're 1-10. Above them, the Bengals, 2-8-1. They lost. They've got that tie in there, so that two wins is actually like two and a half. Cowboys lose. They got three wins. Chargers lose. They've got three. Philadelphia loses. They've got three. Those are the only people that really could potentially be in this. But the Jets are not going to be winning three games. I can guarantee you that. So the only teams we're really looking at, the Jacksonville Jaguars. It looks like the Jets are going to be picking one or two. So for a lot of people, Trevor Lawrence is the answer. That's got to happen with pick number one. It's not going to happen at pick number two. Jaguars will take him if he's if they're drafting from that position. So unless the Jaguars win another game, the Jets can't afford to win another game if they want that first overall pick. Not saying that I do. That's just the situation. So we look at the Jaguars. We'll see what they can do against the Vikings this week. They've actually got a tough schedule for the remainder of the year. They probably, it's going to be tough for them to win a game. I think they play the Titans coming up and a couple other tough teams. This one against the Vikings might be their one of their best chances to pull a win off. But with the Vikings winning this week, they still have an outside chance at making the playoffs. So they're still pushing and playing for something. Still uphill sledding for them. The Jets, I mean, we got a lot to deal with, right? We got to play the Raiders, the Rams, the Patriots. We probably won't be winning a football game anytime soon either. But you never know. Crazier things have happened. When you look at the AFC East, a lot more exciting stuff is going on over there. The winner currently right now is Buffalo Bills 8-3. and three. They're doing really well. The Dolphins right behind them after beating us are 7-4. They're looking for a shot at the playoffs. The Patriots, they're still not mathematically eliminated at 5-6. and six. They got a win this week against the Cardinals, which was a decent win for them, but they look like a mess. I mean, if you watched that game, it looked like they were a worse team than the Cardinals and... You know, it's probably not going to happen for that team. Not this year. It comes down to Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins fighting for the division title. And then whoever doesn't get that will be fighting for one of the three. That's right, three in 2020 wildcard spots. Okay, so before we move over to the team stats and all that, I want to talk about coaching really quick because coaching has been a major issue for us this year. For me specifically, a ton of people, we want to get rid of Adam Gase. We can't fire him soon enough. And... It's worth discussing because we're seeing coaches around the league get fired. We've seen Dan Quinn get fired already. Matt Patricia get fired. We're seeing other coaches on the hot seat and potentially going to be moved very soon. I think there's another one I can't think of at the moment. But Adam Gase is still sitting there. And he's arguably the worst coach of all of them. Probably is. And our team is the worst in the league right now. So why aren't we getting rid of him? Some theories are that the Jets want to lose games. They're trying to get that first overall pick, and Adam Gase is the best guy for that job because he's not going to win anything. Other theories are he is so ingrained in Chris Johnson's brain as being some sort of genius, and this and that from, I don't know, hype from Peyton Manning or other people. Chris Johnson actually doesn't want to get rid of him. He's actually saying, like, no, it's just the team. You know, we knew Joe Douglas was going to come in with, like, a wait and see. Let's build the O-line in a slow progression, incremental building towards the next steps, and maybe they're giving Adam Gase a pass for the season. That would be horrible. But still, somehow he's sitting there, and we aren't truly safe from him until he's gone. So it's important to get rid of him. 
Now, the Jets were starting to use Dowell Loggins as a play caller because Adam Gase had failed for, what, seven or eight weeks when they switched to Dowell. Dowell came in, looked like he was an improvement over Gase coaching. But still, there were still points in the game where maybe Dowell called a game plan in the first half, looked really good, but then the second half was just horrible. Remember those games where it was just completely one-sided? And then vice versa, we had a really bad first half, but a good second half. And there was a lot of mixture going on. And then at some point, Adam Gase decided to take the place back. Now, we know that Dowell Loggins was calling the plays. We were watching him on the sideline. We were watching him with the play sheet. We were watching him calling the plays in. And then this week, we heard that Adam Gase was going to be taking the plays back. Of course, Sam Darnold comes into the lineup, and you're like, no way. We're finally getting Sam back. And the not saying Dowell Loggins has been a great play caller, but he's been an improvement. And now we don't even get that pairing. It's going to be back to Adam. Oh, my guy's back. Got to be. Got to do it. Adam Gase has such an ego on him. Don't even get me started. So he takes the play calling back. We watched Dowell Loggins basically all game on the sideline doing, you know, Back to what we used to see for the first year and a half of Dowell Loggins, where it was like exciting if he threw the challenge flag because he didn't do anything. He wasn't involved in the game plan at all. And that's what it looked like this week. So the Jets ask him in the press conference, they ask Adam Gase, you know, what's the scoop? Why do you take play calling back, this and that? And for whatever reason, Adam Gase decides to lie and act like it never happened and we're all crazy and he was calling plays without. There's a press conference clip I'm going to play for you right now. Hope it sounds all right. But uh, just listen to this if you haven't heard it. I didn't take over. We did this. We've done the same thing the last four games. We were watching Dowell for the whole game. He wasn't doing anything. I mean, he was just standing there. He he tells me it's not hard. This is not hard. We go through it the drive before. Hey, these are the three plays. I do the third downs. So what happens after the three plays when you have a series? Because we were watching one where Dowell was talking to Frank Pollock. He wasn't calling the plays. You were. What part of the game was it? I want to say that was the third quarter. Yeah, when we got down, then I I was trying to do some of the two-minute stuff. So, of course, we hear this, and this is hilarious, really. Adam Gase is so squirmy up there. It is so awkward. It's so obvious that he's lying. Good on Rich Semini for asking the first question. It was Connor Hughes following up and just kind of sticking the knife and, and twisting it in there. Asking Adam Gase, like, we're not crazy. We watched our logins just standing there. And I thought it was awesome. I thought it was just so good how Adam Gase just says, this is what we've been doing. Nothing changed. Maybe we just got unlucky with the camera views we were getting. Adam Gase explains, you know, we do three plays together, and then I do the third downs. We don't know what happens after those three plays. I don't. I guess it's just in limbo, and it's just pick your own plays for the quarterback or whoever else. But the best thing was that he said he does all the third downs. And I think to myself, we talk about team stats every week on this podcast, do we not? And I think the biggest issue for the Jets since Adam Gase has been head coach has been third down efficiency. We talk about it every single week, how bad the Jets are on third down. And every once in a while, they're at 50%. We talk about it as some big, great, glorious achievement. And those are always our best games of the season. But other than that, we're always under 30% or around 30% with the lowest third down percentage in the NFL. So I guess when you look at it, that horrible part of the game that we continue to get is Adam Gase's doing. Wonderful job, Adam. Way to take ownership in those third downs. Aside from that, he talks about, oh, he wanted to do some hurry-up stuff in the third quarter, and that's when he took the place back, which is obviously a lie as well. But just in case it wasn't, let's just look at what happened in that third quarter. The New York Jets, for the remainder of the game, starting in the third quarter, I don't know which drive he's talking about, we had five plays, 30 yards, ending in an interception, four plays, 19 yards, three plays, one yard, four plays, eight yards, three plays, zero yards, and two plays, two yards, 
ending in an interception. So where in there did he say, oh, I need to take play calling over, and now in the third quarter I'm going to try to do some two-minute stuff, and this is going to be my offense now. If that's the case, he was absolutely horrible as well. Those were our worst drives of the entire game. We were far more successful in the first half. So to me, it's just getting to the point where it's like, why are you lying? Why is this happening? It's like we're living in the twilight zone watching this weird thing where somehow there's this person internally that's trying to sabotage the New York Jets and put us through this weird circus where we have to be talked about like this and, and listen to these press conferences. And usually I hate the Jets media for, you know, being a little bit too harsh, making it very difficult for players and coaches to thrive and have confidence. But in a case like this where Adam Gase is clearly the issue, I appreciate them doing what they can to make him uncomfortable and let the world see just how, I don't know, out of control, bad at communicating, whatever you want to call this thing, just how bad it is. So that is coaching for this game. We'll move on from that. Let's talk quick team stats. Team stats in this game, of course, favoring the Dolphins. But there were some positive parts for the Jets. First downs, Dolphins beat the Jets 22 to 10 first downs for the Jets. They only had 345 yards total, which isn't crazy high, right? Like the, I think the mark of a good offensive game, 400 yards of total offense, typically split 300 yards of passing, 100 yards of rushing, and then that can fluctuate depending on a strong running game or a strong passing game. The Jets have 260 yards, so really not a lot of success in either. That was a split between 173 passing yards and 87 rushing yards, missing the mark in both areas. Third down efficiency, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, Adam Gase, your third down efficiency in this game. Three for 13. Horrible. The Dolphins, eight for 16. In a game where the Jets play good defense, they find a way to go eight for 16, only scoring 20 points. That's just average sort of third down efficiency. The Jets, three for 13. That's why you get three points in a game. 0 for 1 on fourth down as well. Talking about the red zone, the Jets made it there three times, primarily because of great defensive play. 0 for 3 in the red zone. Didn't get it on a fourth down try. Frank Gore stuffed up the middle by Landon Roberts. Missed a field goal, Sergio Castillo. A chip shot. Pathetic. And this team, like, we only had to score 20 points to beat the Dolphins. We come out with three. Anyways, it was it was really frustrating. We know that. Penalties, a coaching thing right there. Discipline for a team. The Jets have six penalties for 74 yards. Again, more penalties, bad discipline. You look at the Dolphins, a team that's fighting for the playoffs, three penalties for 20 yards. Now, I mentioned earlier the Jets actually did all right in the turnover battle. Sam threw two picks, two turnovers for the Jets, but we had two takeaways. Two nice forced fumbles. By Jordan Jenkins, Quinn and Williams, picked up by Langey and Hewitt, respectively. Those were big plays. We forced a couple fumbles elsewhere, didn't get them back. But the Jets' defense came out to play. We sacked Ryan Fitzpatrick four times. Sam Darnold was only sacked three times. Decent job by the offensive line. I thought that yards per rush was pretty solid. I mean, we had 3.8 in this game, but Frank Gore was over four yards per carry, and he was the lion's share of the workload. The other guys that came in for, you know, Quick carries here and there lowered that number. But it just, I mean, those are the team stats that you get in a 20-3 to defeat. To a division rival at home in a winless season. Before we move on to the actual player performances in this game, 
want to do a quick father time. And we move father time up to the earlier portion of the show because I think that they typically make more sense up here. It gives us stuff that we can dive into. gives us some content that we can use later on. So here's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. It's called The Reckoning. In parentheses, short and sweet. No one wants 0-16, but if it's a springboard to better games, better seasons, extended seasons, then I'm okay with it. It needs to happen. To me, Trevor Lawrence is the one. The prize in the draft as far as quarterbacks are concerned. No substitutes. And I have sadly and recently turned the corner that as much as I want Sam to be a great quarterback, it isn't going to happen in New York. Not as a Jet. I want Trevor Lawrence to be a Jet. So, if 0-16 is what it takes to get him here and give us a bona fide chance for Super Bowls, then let it happen. I'm not going to run the Trevor Lawrence checklist here, in parentheses, arm, decision-making, physical size, good feet, game speed, proven winner. But if he becomes a Jet, I believe in the future, we will think about how much the 2020 season stunk and then say, but look where it got us as we raise our glasses with smiles on our faces. Sam will always be a Jet, but let's let him go somewhere else and be a success. It is going to be a long, painful December, but let's get our quarterback. And let's go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's Father Time submission. Emotions running wild. Dad sends me this while I'm working today. First thing he says is, I'm sorry. Apologize to me because I have to read this. I said, I don't care what you think. You have your opinions. Think whatever you want. I'll read it on here. But this is the first time that he openly kind of said that he's ready to move on from Sam Darnold. He's mentioned it here and there. We've obviously, we're watching this football team. We're not watching him every single week going, he's amazing. He's perfect. Everything is great. We see the regression. We see that I'm get, him getting worse week after week. And we're looking for more. And we understand that after a certain amount of time, you do have to move on. You can't just sit there forever expecting something else to happen. I blame things like Adam Gase. He thinks that at this point, regardless of who it is, it may potentially be time to move on. He wants Trevor Lawrence. Now, this is just, it's just sad for me because we watched Sam Darnold in college together. We knew that we wanted him. We knew that we'd never get him. He was like that guy. And you're watching him. It's like, imagine if we had this guy. He's going to come in and be a proven winner in the NFL. We knew it. And then we got him. And now after two and a half seasons to be sitting here talking about how another guy could come in and take that role. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want Sam to fail. I don't want him to leave. He will always be a Jet. He's always going to be you know, one of my favorite players, not because of what he did on the field, but who he is as a person and what he represented to me for hope at a time where the Jets had you know, no great quarterbacks. And at one point it was Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith and Hackenberg and this and that, but there was never a guy that I was just 100% behind like Sam Darnold. And so for that, I'm still rooting for him. I think there are scenarios where the Jets can draft other players, make some trades, or sure up the team, get a new coaching staff, get the confidence back in Sam Darnold and be successful with him. But I get it. He's right, and Trevor Lawrence could come in here and change stuff. And right now, Sam Darnold is not playing good football for us. Maybe it's the coach's fault. Maybe it's the players and the team's fault. Maybe it's Sam Darnold or his coaching or anything else's fault. But he's not playing good football for us right now. And it's hard to see that there's progression and better days ahead for him with this unit. Now you could get a new coaching staff and you could try to work on that with him. But Joe Douglas didn't draft Sam Darnold. And why wouldn't he be looking at potentially getting his own guy? Somebody that people are saying is one of the best quarterbacks to come out of college in years. 
from Trevor Lawrence. I think he's the best one since Andrew Luck came out, who was like the highest rated quarterback of all time in the draft. I'm with my dad on another point here in that Trevor Lawrence, if the Jets are going to take a quarterback in the draft, I agree. It's Trevor Lawrence, no substitutes. Now, he's my dad is openly against Justin Fields, thinks that there is absolutely no way he should be a quarterback for the Jets. Not a fan of him. I tend to agree with him. A guy like Trey Lance, unproven, don't want to do it. Zach Wilson, small school. The guy, it has to be Trevor Lawrence in this draft. If there's anybody that I've watched in college as much as Sam Darnold over the years, it's Lawrence because he's that guy that would have been the first quarterback taken in last year's draft but couldn't come out. And he's been he's been winning championship games as a young kid, working his way up until now. It's just like so obvious. Like, of course it's him. He's just the star of college football. And, yeah, it is no substitutes. It's him or it's bust. If you got that first overall pick, you can draft him. If you're drafting second because the Jets win a game somewhere in here against New England or the Raiders then maybe you got to ride with Sam Darnold again. But somewhere in there, this is going to be big-time, you know, bait for potential head coaching candidates who are going to be coming to the team. A guy like Trevor Lawrence behind quarterback could be a big determining factor in who wants to come here and work with this team. So I appreciate the father time, Dad. I did not love reading it. I don't want to hear the negativity about Sam Darnold, but there is a very real scenario where the Jets move on after this season from what we've seen so far through 11 weeks. And the guy hasn't even been healthy for a full season ever in three years. And so we've got to start kind of bracing ourselves, getting ready, and whatever decision Joe Douglas makes, I'll understand it as much as it may affect me emotionally. I will understand what he's doing, why he's doing it, and I will be rooting for it to work as much as anybody else. So that is this week's Father Time. Again, thank you, Dad. I appreciate it. Before we move on, a commercial. Okay, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk offensive performances in this game. And we always start with the quarterback. And, you know, we were just on a negative note with the Father Time where I left you before the commercial. And we were talking about how Trevor Lawrence could potentially be quarterback of the New York Jets should they lose the remainder of their games and that brings us to one Sam Darnold's performance which for the first time ever to my dismay brings us to the doghouse Sam Darnold is our doghouse player of the week we were expecting a lot from him in this game Denzel Mims, Brashad Perriman, Jamison Crowder all out there first time for him Chris Herndon healthy the O-line we do have a replacement right tackle and left guard not perfect but we've seen Joe Flacco out there with a similar situation, finding success, and Sam Darnold should be better than him for sure, should be better than Joe Flacco. It should be able to come out here against the Dolphins' defense that is pretty good. But Sam Darnold should have been better than 197 yards. Sacked three times in some bad sacks where he's standing in the pocket, not making decisions, throwing two bad, undisciplined interceptions. 16 for 27 in this game. This wasn't his worst game of his career, but this was the perfect storm for him to have a good game, and we were all hoping for it, and he dropped the ball. The defense gave him good field position time and time again, got him in the red zone three times. We came away with three points. Play calling is a huge issue. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to it, what we were expecting from Sam, what he should be able to do, and what we're seeing on the field, and the decisions that he's making, the way that he's skittish in the pocket, and he's not standing up there and making those throws across the field, 
and he's not making his reads anywhere nearly as anywhere near as quick as he used to do that. I mean, that was one of those great things that he could do. He could look left, look right, flush right, and chuck downfield and find this nice 30-yard gain. You're like, wow, how does he do all that? Now he's just kind of moving around in the pocket with no confidence. Instead of giving guys opportunities, you know, he's not giving those same deep one-on-one opportunities that Joe Flacco was giving his receivers. It's just, it just was, uh, it was really depressing and disappointing to see on this week because there's a lot of excitement going in. Now, don't get me wrong. We're giving Sam Darnold the doghouse performance of the week in this week. but That doesn't mean that he can't come out and be player of the game next week. Absolutely he can. And there is still a scenario where he plays great football for the Jets and is our quarterback for many years down the road. That still exists as a possibility. But if this game's any indication of what's to come, I mean, he is regressing faster than I thought possible. And again, I will blame Adam Gase. Moving over to the rushing attack, LaMichael Pirine is out for this game. This is his first game on IR. He's got at least two more before he comes back. So Adam Gase's dream is just giving Frank Gore as many carries as he could possibly get. 18 carries in this game for Gore out of the 23 total for the Jets. Only 21 to running backs and 18 are for Gore. Yum, yum, yum. 74 yards. 4.1 yard per carry average. He had a 17-yarder, which was his longest of the season, and it might be, other than Ty Johnson's 35-yarder, might be the longest rush of the Jets' offensive season. And for that reason, Frank Gore goes to our player of the game. And we're thinking to ourselves, 18 yards for 74 yards, no scores. That's our player of the game? Well, yeah. We had a couple receivers with a couple nice catches here and there. We had some decent play from Mekhi Becton blocking early on, especially in the run game. Solid O-line performances from everybody. Frank Gore, 4.1 yards per carry, 74 yards, I believe, could easily be his high yardage of the season. And he just looked good in times where the Jets have guys in and out in the receiving court, in and out on the offensive line, quarterback in and out. All across the field, we've got guys injured. The one constant is Frank Gore. You can give him nine carries, five carries, or 18 carries. He's ready to tote the rock. He's going to move forward upfield with a little bit of steam every single time. And... He's reliable. We don't give him enough credit for his durability and what he's been able to do for this team because he stabilizes things where if he went down, I mean, we'd be playing guys like Josh Adams and Ty Johnson, and we wouldn't be moving the ball at all. Frank Gore picking up his consistent four yards, four yards, four yards. I mean, Adam Gase loves him a little bit too much for this offense to be successful, but 18 carries for 74 yards, 4.1 yard per carry average, a 17 long Frank Gore showing up time and time again, always being there when the Jets need him. Player of the game for this week. Everybody else, Ty Johnson, two carries, three yards. Josh Adams, one carry, one yard. Sam ran twice for nine. Nothing else to see there, folks. When you move over to the receiving game, we talked a little bit of receiving. Frank Gore did add three catches for 12 yards. So tack that on. The guy's got 86 total yards in this game on 21 touches. That's the most yardage for any skill position player for the Jets. When you talk about receivers straight up, though, Rashad Perriman, four carries, or four receptions, 79 yards. And he's a guy that I was not high on going into this offseason. He was replacing Robbie Anderson, doing a very similar role as Robbie Anderson, just worse. He had a very bad track record with the Ravens. He'd been really a bad bust of a player who was drafted early on in his career. And then he had some success with Jameis Winston, and the Bucks at the very end of the season when other guys were injured, and I was just like, I don't want this guy. I'd rather have Robbie Anderson. I wrote a poem for Robbie Anderson. We didn't take him. We took Perriman for a very similar contract. Didn't seem like a good deal. 
Anyways, I digress. I'm starting to come around to Perriman in terms of his role-playing ability. Not that he's a number one or number two receiver, but that he is a guy worth having on the team because he his speed is undeniable. He gets open downfield. He finds a way to make big plays. He had a 37-yarder in this game. 79 yards. I mean, how many weeks in a row has he led the team in receiving yards or led the team in receiving touchdowns? He's doing it with Joe Flacco, a, a, a combination that did not have success in Baltimore. But here it's having success. And I'm not saying the Perriman is... is recreating the wheeler he's some awesome wide receiver for us but he has a skill set that is useful similar to what robbie anderson had and i think that it's worth potentially bringing back on a smaller contract to keep him as that number three number four receiver again depth is key i don't want to play josh malone and jeff smith and at this point even big play vince don't want him on the field i want guys like perriman coming in in those situations the way he did for the buccaneers when he was successful there the way you look at these great teams you know, that role on the Kansas City Chiefs where you got Nicole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson, that's where Perriman belongs. So potentially he could come back, starting to come around. Four catches, 79 yards. He had eight targets in this game. That 137-yarder was a big one. Denzel Mims, our boy Denzel Mims. Four catches, 67 yards with a 30-yarder. He had a nice little uh, slant post up the middle, caught it, edge of his fingertips, ran the ball. 30-yard gain, had a couple other nice plays. Denzel Mims is really becoming a good player right before our eyes. I wish that we had better quarterback play and a better game plan and play calling to really see Denzel Mims flourish. I wish that we were in the red zone more often, gave him more red zone opportunities. How about like one pylon pass attempt to Denzel Mims just to see what it looks like? We haven't even gotten to the three-yard line when he's been on the field yet to even try that. Our scores have come from like 50 yards out by Joe Flacco or not at all with Sam Darnold. So I'd love to see Denzel Mims used more and in a little bit more ingenious sort of ways. But right now, he's finding a way to get production in every single game. When he came out with us, his first game playing against Buffalo, 42 yards. Next game, 42. Against New England, he had 62 yards. He had his career high against the Chargers, 71 yards. He had gotten progressively more and more yards every single week. 71 is his high. And then this week against Miami, he ties his career high in receptions for 67 yards and got his long of the season of 30 yards. He continues to flourish in what is a very bad offense. So very, very happy with Denzel Mims was high on him coming out of college. Super high on him. Now Jersey coming soon. I imagine the rest of it. Jameson Crowder targeted early three catches, 31 yards. We thought he would be a big part of the offense with Sam back because Sam loves to throw to Crowder. In this game, he threw to him early on, but by the end, Crowder ended 31 yards on three catches and five targets, so minimal game there. And then, other than that Frank Gore stat line of 3-12, and 12, you got Jeff Smith with one catch for seven yards, Ty Johnson with one catch for one yard on a bad third down and four, a little swing pass to Ty Johnson who couldn't get around the corner in time, and it forces the Jets to punt. So that was our offensive skill positions. When you look at the offensive line, Mekhi Becton, awesome, dominant, should be in the Pro Bowl. I will continue to vote for him. I voted for him at this point probably 20 times. He is awesome, and I want the best for him. Just stay healthy and keep dominating people. Connor McGovern's been solid. Greg Van Roten has been above average. Fant misses this game. Connor McDermott comes in, but the Jets only give up three sacks, and a lot of it was on Sam just standing in the pocket and not getting rid of it. Those were sacks that easily could have been avoided by a quarterback with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more experience in the league. So he took those sacks, but overall decent play. 
The real surprise in this game was the starter at left guard. Alex Lewis was benched in this game, inactive, not due to injury, just because he's been stinking. And we've been talking about on this podcast all year, the offensive line is in the works to being good. The biggest issue is left guard, Alex Lewis. Lewis proved that he was a good fill-in player. Off of the bench last year, when Coleccio Semele had his big issue in the grievance and ended up leaving the Jets, Alex Lewis stepped in and was okay. But I think we let him being an okay backup, who didn't really piss us off, convince us that he was a good starter. Because he's not a good starter. And we've seen him this year. He belongs in that backup role. He should be playing where David Andrews has been this year, where when we're screwed and we're like, all right, we got to put our backup in. It's David Andrews, and he has like the worst season you've ever seen. Like, holy moly. It shouldn't be guys like Andrews. It should be guys like Lewis. But who should be starting? The Jets need to find their starting left guard. I think it comes in the draft or a big contract in the offseason. But Joe Douglas doesn't want to wait until then. He at least wants to get the ball moving now. Cam Clark was drafted mid-round for the Jets this year in the draft. He hasn't been healthy enough to play yet. And even if he is, there's no telling that he's even ready to take on that role, to be starting at left guard in the NFL. He may be more of a project. That's okay. But how do we get somebody in there? Not Andrews. Okay, Lewis has been failing. He's the weakness. What do we do next to Beckton to make it better? He goes out and on waivers picks up Pat Elfline, an interior offensive lineman who I believe was drafted to be a center by the Vikings a few years ago. We remember him because the Jets were looking at interior offensive linemen then, and he was one of the guys top of the list. He was an early round guy who could play interior. I think he switched over to guard later on. And of course, for the Jets, ended up playing guard. But when the Vikings cut him, put him on waivers just for not completely panning out with their team. Elfine never cleared waivers. We picked him up. We added him in, left guard. And I think that he was, it's a one game sample size, so it's hard to tell. And you're against the Miami Dolphins team that doesn't have an amazing defensive line. Not a huge blocking assignment there, but I think that Elfline looked solid. I don't know if he's going to be the starter moving forward for the Jets, but I think that he may be a step up over Alex Lewis. So exciting to see what happens there. Lewis should continue to be benched. I'd like to see Elfline and Cameron Clark, a hybrid combo between the two. No more David Andrews. And hopefully we get Fant back to replace McDermott. So that is our offense. We'll move over to our defense. And you know what? I love the defense in this game. I think they played awesome. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw 257 yards. So typically the Jets this year have been giving up like three, 400 yards to every quarterback, giving, it seems like, every single guy their career best day. Fitzpatrick, 257. Not so bad. We sacked him four times. All right. Not so bad. Forced a fumble on him. Running the ball. We held him to 4.2 yards per carry. I mean, they just kept running throughout the game. 25 carries in this game for 104 yards. So not terrible there. But I liked what I saw. Devontae Parker, there's always one receiver against the Jets, it seems like, this year that just torches us. So like one Keenan Allen put up huge numbers against us. Travis Kelsey dominates us. And this week, Devontae Parker was the chosen man to get 119 receiving yards on eight catches. A lot of that's guarded by zones, weak zones, some of it by Lamar Jackson, and a few of them by Bryce Hall. Liked his game, but a few of them by him as well. When you look at it, across the board... Not an amazing, not an amazing game by the Dolphins offense. 20 points. And Fitzpatrick is a guy that likes to sling the ball around the field. Easily could have been more than this, but the Jets defense held up. Starting with the defensive line, our player of the game, defensive player of the game, of course, no question, hands down, has to be Quinnen Williams. He dominated in this game. Second most tackles on the team with seven. He had one and a half sacks. Probably should have been one because Basham, I think, was involved on one of them. 
but got after the quarterback two times there for one full sack, one half sack, two tackles for a loss, two pass deflections, three QB hits, and a forced fumble. This is potentially Quinn Williams' best game of his entire career. He has been getting better and better this season. He's one of those guys that going into the off, uh, in the offseason, going into the season, we were looking at Quinn and like, he's that guy. If he can take that next step, he was okay as a rookie. Had some flashes, some good play. But if he can take that next step, he could be really good. We saw that. He's so young. He was so good in this game. That sack and a half. I mean, he leads the team. Nobody else in the team has more than two sacks. Quinn Williams has five, five and a half, depending on where you look. People kind of count them differently. I think PFF has him at like six. Quinn Williams is awesome. And he is just looking better and better. He looks like one of the best defensive tackles in the entire NFL. It's like the way you got your Makai Beckton on offense, and you're like, you love to watch him play. Wow, what a dominant player. Quinton Williams is becoming that right before our eyes on the defensive line. So, you know, round of applause to Quinton Williams. Amazing game. He was all over the field, and there was no question he was going to be our defensive player. The rest of the defensive line, his backup, Steve, uh, I almost said Steve McClendon, because it used to be Steve McClendon, it's Foley Fadakasi. And Fadakasi had a great game. He had a sack. He had two tackles for a loss in this game. Four tackles, two quarterback hits. I mean, that combo between those two guys, I love that defensive tackle group, Williams and Fadakas. You know, it's a bummer to lose Steve McClendon, great locker room guy. But holy moly, that one-two punch, it's going to be a dominant pair for five, ten years. The rest of the defensive line, a little bit quiet. Henry Anderson, he had some tackles, but very quiet as always. Basham got in the backfield that one time. I think potentially should have had half a sack for his play there, maybe not. Bryce Huff. He had a QB hit, got after the quarterback a little bit. Nathan Shepard, MIA. The defensive line, nothing crazy, but Jordan Jenkins coming off the other edge actually had arguably his best game of the season because he had a forced fumble in this game, a nice punch out on the running back. He had half a sack, two quarterback hits, five tackles. I mean, that's the type of game that you want to see more consistently from Jordan Jenkins that ever since giving him the one-year deal in the offseason, we just haven't seen from him. We just haven't seen a bad season from Jordan Jenkins. This is arguably his best game so far in 2020. And, you know, hats off to him. He could have been a player of the game candidate had it not been for the dominance of Quinn and Williams. Looking at the rest of the linebackers, another player of the game candidate easily could have been Neville Hewitt. This guy, six tackles, gets a sack. He has a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two tackles for a loss, quarterback hit. I mean, Neville Hewitt's all over the field. All right, great game from him. Now, he's not the most talented inside linebacker in the world, but he is an absolutely roster-relevant player who should be getting snaps on really any team in the league. I'm not talking about getting 99% like the Jets, but he's one of those guys that when one of your top guys goes down, you are okay putting Neville Hewitt in for one, two, three games, whatever it is. That's kind of his role. And if you do have to play him for an extended period of time because a guy like C.J. Mosley opts out for a season or Avery Williamson gets traded... Well, Hewitt's just not so bad. And he makes some plays, and he's a sure tackler. So happy with what we've seen from Hewitt. Put in a tough spot, but doing the most of his minutes with, you know, the talent level that he's got. He's a he's a role-playing kind of guy. He's been hiding on the back end of rosters for years. I think he's like 10th in the league in total tackles right now. So good for him. He is playing basically every single snap for this entire season. But good for him, and he got a sack in this game. You look at the other inside linebacker, or linebacker, hybrid kind of guy. Harvey Lange, he led the team in tackles with eight. He's been flying around the field. Again, not a guy that I think should be starting for this team, but a guy who should absolutely be part of that reserve unit. 
playing snaps for the Jets. Harvey Laney had a fumble recovery in this game. Decent game from him. Happy with our inside linebackers. Okay, defense is looking all right. What about those cornerbacks? We mentioned Lamar Jackson, undrafted rookie, got picked on in this game. It's going to happen. LaShawn Austin is out. you got Bryce Hall starting. He's a rookie. you got Lamar Jackson starting. you got Javelin Guidry and Arthur Mollette playing snaps in the slot, and it's just like this is a tough task no matter what. Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, is the victim here primarily. Gets picked down a bit. He's not a great player. He's not that bad. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He's not pathetic out there the way we've seen some Jets players. I'm not going to name them, but in the last two years, we've seen some pathetic cornerback play. We don't see a ton from Lamar Jackson. He had five tackles in this game. But, you know, on the other side, Bryce Hall, the other rookie drafted in the fifth round, should have been earlier. I'm happy with Bryce Hall. I like what he's been doing. I think that he plays good, consistent defense. I think that he's got a nice repertoire of moves. He can press you at the line. He can cover you pretty well. He's quick. He's got great natural intelligence and football instincts. And in reality, he kind of, his game kind of reminds me of that of a Blashawn Austin. And I would really love to see the two of them paired next to each other. I don't think either one of them is necessarily a number one cornerback for a team, but I think for outside guys, you could easily have a two and a three there, bring in one more big name guy. And that's a decent cornerback room from what I've seen so far. So happy with Bryce Hall. He had a quiet game statistically in this game, but he was noticeable. Nice pass deflection, six tackles and, uh, just happy with Price Hall. We need cornerbacks in this team badly. We don't want to be moving on with a bunch of undrafted rookies and players off the streets that you never heard of. No offense to Arthur Mollette and Javelin Guidry and this and that, but you know what I mean. We need to start putting together a good defensive backfield, and potentially LaShawn Austin, Bryce Hall will lead that charge. Looking at the safeties, and Javelin Guidry, touching on him really quick, he had an all right game. He had a forced fumble technically on that play to. Devontae Parker, that was like a weird catch thing that was definitely not a catch. Um, so, Javelin Guidry making his presence felt and probably his most offensive snaps of the season. Props to him. He didn't get too torched. Going over to the safeties, Marcus May early on, first quarter of the game, I'm thinking to myself, this is our runaway defensive player of the game. May is having a game right now. He had a nice tackle in the backfield or in the line. He had a really nice pass deflection or two in this game, broke up a play. Four tackles, ended up being overshadowed by a few players. Easily could have been Neville Hewitt as the player game. Quinn and Williams runs away with it. And good game from May. Looking at the other safety, we've been evaluating all season Ashton Davis. He had not a great game. His issue to me is he's not confident in coverage. He gets put in these one-on-one situations in our defense with the zones when guys run into his zone. Nobody else is there. He's stumbled a few times. He stumbled in this game and got, gave up a big catch. And he's just kind of made those mistakes here and there. If it happens once or twice, you're like, all right, whatever. It happens here and there. Not often to really good players, but it can happen. It's happened a few times to him now. So I'm worried about him in coverage. I like him more running across the field. He's kind of, you know, fast all over the field, likes to run after the running backs and players, try to blow up some screen passes. He likes to go after the quarterback. Even though he's not big, he's got the speed to go around the edge. And he's definitely a versatile, usable player, but he has to improve in his pass coverage if he wants to be a starter for the Jets moving forward. He may move into that, like, you know, Matthias Farley role or the Rontez Miles that we had. We always have, like, a decent Eric Smith was one for a while. Just a decent backup safety because usually you don't just 
do two safeties for the entire year. You've got a third guy, and that third guy usually has some sort of decent impact on the team in the course of a, a whole season. So maybe he's more suited for that role. We'll have to continue to see. He's got to improve on that coverage. Really quick, one other guy we haven't really mentioned, Blake Cashman. He got injured in this game. Again, Blake Cashman is done as a New York Jet. I am writing him off now. I'm over it. I was high on him at first. He was a quick linebacker. He had some decent games. It looked like maybe he could grow and become a good player. No, he's injured all the time. He needs to go. Replace him ASAP. So that's our defense. Before we move over to anything else, the next thing would be special teams and a Raiders preview. we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler because you've probably been hearing me drinking. you probably wonder what is it that's sipping in my mouth. Folks, we are going to do What's on Tap. That's right. This is What's on Tap. Section where I talk about the drink that I'm currently enjoying. And today, it is a Down East Cider, unfiltered, white. This is part of their uh, cider line, Down East. I had one a couple weeks ago, the Aloha Friday, I believe. Absolutely delicious. Or maybe it was the Dark and Starry. Either way, whatever it was, it was good. Um, this week, it's a Down East White. I got a variety pack for Thanksgiving because tis the season for some cidery type of drinks. Wanted something nice. Beautiful Thanksgiving with fiance Shannon and roommate Kyle. A couple ciders as well. This is a nice little seltzer. It's light. It's white. I haven't, uh, I'm drinking it from the can, so I don't know what it looks like, but I'm guessing by its taste, it's very light in color, probably close to a white. It's 5.1, 5 5.5% alcohol. Whoa, gluten-free. It's just, if you like ciders, it's a little sweet for my liking, but you only drink one or two of these. You just enjoy that sort of autumn flavor. This time of year, I think they're great. So that's what I'm joining. That's what I'm enjoying this podcast. 0-11, drinking more than ever, finding reasons to be excited, finding ways to spice up the episode. Booze. All right, so before we move on, quick commercial. All righty, welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are about to talk special teams for the New York Jets in their 3-20 to loss to the Miami Dolphins as they fall to 0-11. Looking at the special teams, Ficken is on IR, and I was so excited because, of course, Castillo has been the better kicker, and, of course, Castillo should be the kicker for the New York Jets, and I have been clamoring for it. I've been saying, get Ficken out of there. Ficken was okay, but Castillo has been better, more consistent from deep, more consistent from short. And then he comes in on this game, and he misses a chip shot. And I'm like, all right, well, there goes any confidence I had in Sergio Castillo because you can't be missing kicks under 35 yards. He was one for two in this game, made a 38-yarder. But Castillo at this point, just like Ficken, seems like a guy who's going to ride out the remainder of the season kicking for the Jets, and then should be moving on. We need to find a good kicker. The Giants find a guy like Graham Gano, who's a good kicker, just laid on as Aldrich Rosas has issues, and they can find a guy to plug in like that. And we plug in Sam Ficken and then Sergio Castillo. And I'm not completely over Sergio Castillo. I still think he's the better kicker and should kick for the remainder of this year. And should he not miss another easy kick in the last five games, then perhaps he could win me back. But right now, it's just like, can we get a real guy in this position? Somebody that we can trust, not Kari Vedvik or Castillo or Ficken. Can we get like a real established kicker? There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of guys that are available. I think, was it Kaimi Fairbairn or one of those guys? 
wasn't even picked up early in the season and could have been anyways. So that's my issue with the kickers. Talking about the punter, love the punter. Braden Mann is cool as can be. He makes tackles, he punts pretty well, and he's currently leading punters in Pro Bowl voting. I have been voting for Braden Mann. The second I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, what? Because I vote for all the Jets that I think are deserved players. You know, I'm not going to vote for Alex Lewis, but when I see a guy like Greg Van Roten and McGovern and Braden Mann, I'll vote for them to be Pro Bowlers just to give them a little votes, and you never know. When I found out Braden Mann was actually leading punters, I was like, oh, here we go. So I started refreshing, voting him and Becton, him and Becton. Let's get these guys in there, you know, just because a reason to celebrate something, somebody on this team, a little bit of confidence and encouragement. Good accolades are nice things for a team, even in an 0-11 season, could be 0-16. Still nice to have your guys voted to the Pro Bowl. So Braden Mann in this game is our special teams player of the game. Whoa, six punts, two inside of the 20. He had a 58-yarder as his long and averaged nearly 48 yards per punt. We talk about their punt returns. They had two punt returns for 19 yards. Long was 12. So overall, Braden Mann was booting the ball downfield, getting a bunch of them inside the 20, and minimal returns. Great job by Braden Mann. I'd like to see him limit the touchbacks and in situations where you're punting towards the, you know, the five-yard line, instead of landing on the three and rolling in, getting it closer to like the seven, and even if it rolls towards the end zone, you have a little bit more opportunity to stop it and shut it down there, but he's got to work on that, that little bit of touch and finesse that punters get over time. Braden Mann is cool. He is the man. Pun intended. I need a laugh track on this thing. My soundboard is not very active in my podcasting, but if we had one, that would have been a great opportunity. Returning, Corey Ballantyne, this guy picked up a defensive back for the Jets who's just bounced around the league and not really done all that much, comes to our team, returns a long of 35. And it was like, all right, this is a welcome sight. We haven't seen anything from big play Vince. We had Josh Malone, Ashton Davis, Michael Piron, a bunch of players try this. The only guy who really had success returning kicks with like any decent impactful return was Ty Johnson. But then this week, a 35-yarder for Corey Ballantyne. I'm on board with that. Unfortunately, his other return was for 15 yards. So not as great there. A little bit of inconsistency, but okay job. Punt returning, Braxton Berrios, basically just a fair catch. Berrios is not returning the way that he did last year. He's not having that impactful 12, 15 yarder. He hasn't really had a bunch of chances. He's not a very ballsy return man. He's not one to just be like, you know what? I don't have to fair catch it. I'm going to take off with this thing, even though they're bearing down on me. If Berrios is about to get hit, he's fair catching it. So he's really not getting those sort of numbers that he had last year. Not that they were amazing, but he was getting 9, 10, 12-yard returns frequently. But the thing about him is he doesn't fumble, and you probably forget because we're used to a sure-handed punter, but when you have a not-good punter, they always fumble. Or not a not-good punt returner, they always fumble. At some point, they screw you over. And Braxton Berrios is reliable in that respect. So credit to him where it's where it's deserved. That is our special teams. So now all we have left to do is move on to the Las Vegas Raiders. This team is six and five, was six and four, playing a not so great Atlanta Falcons team, and then absolutely dropped the ball and got obliterated. 43 to 6. They played a really ugly game against the Falcons there. 
and I think that when you look at it, they had just lost to the Chiefs, and that was a game that they could have won, and I think they were a little bit fired up from that. They play against the Falcons in this game, probably underestimated them, sort of a trap game scenario where they just came off that Chiefs thing, they're down, their spirits are in a weird place, and they're like, well, we can get it back on track with the Falcons. They didn't. They lose 43-6. to That's an eye-opener. John Gruden and that team are going to be practicing hard this week, and the Jets will be the recipient. The Jets are the perfect bounce-back game for the Raiders. After the Jets, they play the Colts, and then a divisional game against the Chargers, then a potential playoff team against the Dolphins, a spot they may need to fight for, and they play the Broncos, a good defense, divisional game at the end of the season. They would love to get their season back on track, get to 7-5, and five, and the Jets are the perfect team to help them get there. So they will be prepared for us. When you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, this is a team that I just have... I don't like this team. This is one of those like rivalry teams. I know it's been a while since we had like a really good, impactful game against them that really mattered, but uh, we used to, and they're just a the black hole and their fans and the rivalry matchups we've had over the years. They're just not a team uh, I like to see be successful. So I root against them every week. We'll definitely be rooting against them this week. I still will allow a New York Jets win. Oh no, we have to draft second and Sam Darnold stays quarterback and we get Jamar Chase or somebody else, there's a lot of different scenarios where the Jets can be successful that don't necessarily require the first overall pick. You don't have to have the first overall pick to win a Super Bowl. I can almost guarantee you that the team that wins the Super Bowl next year will not have had the first overall pick in the 2020 draft. But it is a scenario that is potentially the most likely valuable return. Regardless, I'm saying all this because I wouldn't be upset if the Jets win this game. And if there's a team in our schedule for the remainder of the year that we can beat, it is most likely the Raiders or the Patriots or the Browns. We do play them. They're having a good season, but potentially you're waiting for that chink in the arm of the Browns to fall back down to earth where they belong. Again, sorry for the rant. When you look at the Raiders offensively, Josh Jacobs is the guy, 782 yards, nine touchdowns. He is their bell cow. He's a good running back. He's got a lot of tread on the tires and gets it done. Tight end, Darren Waller, could rip us apart the same way that Travis Kelsey did. When you look at the passing game, though, Derek Carr fumbles. You can get to him. You can make him uncomfortable. The offensive line is all right for the Raiders. You look at their receivers. There's not a guy that I'm super nervous about. You've got three main receivers for this team. Slot guy, Hunter Renfro. Not super dangerous yards after catch. He will probably find the soft spots of the zone frequently, but he's not a super talented physical specimen. Then you've got Nelson Aguilar, who's having a really good year, but played for the Eagles and is known to drop easy catches and make mistakes here and there. We know it to be true. Aside from that, you got Henry Ruggs, who is the first wide receiver drafted in 2020's draft. But he's a really good straight line runner, super speed. He's kind of like a Braxton Berry, uh, not Braxton, Brashad Perriman on steroids, just faster and quicker and younger. But he only catches a couple times a game. Sometimes it's a 50 yarder. You got to watch that deep ball. The Jets are usually pretty good at stopping that stuff. So I'm not super afraid of him in the intermediate, mid range level of the field, where the Jets consistently get beat up like seven to 15 yards downfield in the middle of the field. That's Darren Waller territory. So if you can take Darren Waller out or make life difficult for him, then they have to focus on this Hunter Renfro, on Nelson Aguilar, or on Henry Ruggs. Now you can run the ball with Josh Adam or Josh Jacobs, but we're pretty good at stopping the run. 
They got another guy that I liked in the draft, Brian Edwards, who's an option. But realistically, I'm not super afraid of their offense. Defensively, they don't have a great defense either. They got a nice pass rusher. I like Max Crosby as a pass rusher for them. But overall, this team has some areas of weakness. And a couple weeks ago, you were looking at them as a playoff team. Now you see them 6-5. and five. They look like a team that the Jets can beat. Now, how could I say that? The Jets don't play well in really any game. But eventually, the things come together. And like we saw against the Broncos, the Jets actually put together a pretty good performance. Like we saw against the Patriots, Jets put together a pretty good performance. We have been close in a few games. We have played a little bit tighter than a lot of people have thought. And eventually, you're just waiting for that one perfect storm where stuff comes together. And a team like the Las Vegas Raiders is the type of team that can get you there. An offense that can make mistakes, that has a weird group of skilled players. Don't get me wrong, they've got their their roles that they do. But if you make them uncomfortable, Derek Carr fumbles the ball, throws interceptions. It's possible to get a little bit of uh, momentum going on that side. And then offensively, I mean, if Max Crosby's going up against Mekhi Becton, I take Mekhi Becton 10 times out of 10. I would love to see Crosby go straight up with Becton and just get dominated for an entire game. I don't want to eat my words, but I would love to see that. He may have to move to the other side like a lot of guys do after having no success in the first you know, quarter of the game. Just like, oh, we'll try the other side and go up against George Fant or Connor McDermott or Chuma Adoga, whoever's playing there. Kind of a cop-out. He's getting away from our dominance. But we'll see what happens. I think that Sam Darnold should remain quarterback. I think that we should see a little bit more standing in the pocket and throwing downfield. I think we should see a little bit more involvement from Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, and Brashad Perriman. I don't think four catches should be the high for really any one of those guys. I'd like to see five, six catches for each one because those are our three guys. And frankly, Sam Darnold hasn't played with them or used them when he did. It's time to see that ship righted somewhat in potentially our best offensive showing for Sam Darnold of the entire season. I'm hopeful. I'm ready for it. I am going to will it into existence. I'm realizing now, as I'm about to close out this podcast episode, that we never mentioned Chris Herndon, who played a bunch of snaps and did nothing in this game. Could have been doghouse player of the game, but he didn't technically make any mistakes. He just was absent and basically a ghost. So he didn't screw us over anyway, not like the way Sam Darnold took sacks and threw interceptions and whatnot. Um, So we stand by our decision, but it needs to be mentioned that Chris Herndon was useless in this game after having his best game of the season last week. So, when you look at it, I think the Jets are like six and a half, seven point underdogs to the Raiders. Very good chance the Jets get smoked in this game, but if there's any team the Jets can come out and play all right against on both sides of the ball, this is the one. Let's see what they can do. Let's root for the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Minnesota Vikings happening this week now. And I can't wait to be back next week talking about potentially the Jets' first win of the 2020 season. And if not, talking about how we are lined up for the first overall pick and so much value in the draft and there on out. As always, if you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe anywhere they're found. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 